0: for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts Damone Carter
1: David Ma and Nate LeBlanc
2: Dad Bod Rap Pod episode 140 it's me Damone Carter aka Dem1 I am joined by Mr. Nate LeBlanc Happy Monday, Nate. How's it going? Oh, it's so
3: good. It's fantastic.
2: No, it's fine.
3: I'm I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you?
2: Um, I'm hanging in there, man. had had a good had a good weekend. Pretty low key. Coming up on this is the birthday week. Oh yeah, yeah. Looking for fifty. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, the <laughs> fucker. Uh, how old are you going to be? Tell the people. I am going to be 44 this year. Holy shit. Year. I can't hear this on the pod, but I'll look a day over 37. So uh, you, look,
3: you look great. You look way, way younger than me. Because uh, your
2: birthday is coming up
3: as well, right? Yeah, I'm getting out of town. I'm going to a cottage with no Wi-Fi, no, uh, oh, no phone to avoid not right. only any mention of my 40th birthday,
2: but the election as well. That's right. Yeah. This is going to be a, a a hell of a of a Scorpio season. For those of you keeping track at home, Nate is more of the prudish Scorpio. I come from another. I'm he's an outlier of our of our zodiac sign. I believe the term um, is repressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he has to find his outlet. Pro- possibly Jeremy Tubin can help. Um, <laughs> Uh, also on the line, I'm not sure what his, what his astrological sign is, but he is a writer. You may have seen his work uh, as a columnist for both Bandcamp and Spin, or cracking wise on Twitter, we want to welcome to the pod, Max B. What's happening, man? Hey, guys, it's
0: a privilege to be here, and I am a Sagittarius. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why do we stop doing that? Why did they stop doing that in RB? I don't know, I love the floaters, man. I don't know why we can't get float, everyone to just do a, like nine minute track where they talk about their Zodiac signs, you know. It's great.
2: Yeah, long, long overdue. Um, so we, we brought uh, Max to the, to the writers table to, uh, to talk about this deluge of new releases that just came out. This is a Monday, uh, so we're still kind of absorbing everything that came out uh, last Friday. Um, so we're going to just kind of parse through some of the new releases. I I heard or maybe I read somewhere Max has got some fuego takes about um about a couple of these. Let's start with the one that I think most of the rap universe is talking about arguing about and that is uh Benny the Butcher's new record which is called Burden of Proof. Um this is his uh big big league coming out party. Per se. Uh Max, how did it how did it hit for you?
0: It didn't. <laughs> no go, At all. Huh? It no go. No go. No go. A full a full hollow notes no go on that one. <laughs> um, so you know, I love Benny actually. And that's what's so sad about this for me, is that I think Tana Talk 3 was probably my favorite Griselda release coming into this. Mm. And I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of people who have been kind of burnt out on the plethora of Griselda releases over the last several years. I mean, I, I, sent, I told Nate before we got on this that, you know, I've, I was covering West Side Gun back in 2016. So it's been a fair, fair bit longer than like, I mean, now there are Griselda articles in Entertainment Weekly, you know, whereas like Rock Marciano couldn't get any coverage whatsoever at that level. But well, it's a different discussion. Um, so the my I'll start in. I'll just go in since I've been Going. given the platform. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So first and foremost, the features, none of them except for the Griselda features really make sense to me at all in terms of like who he is as an artist or um, what he's talking about on record. And you can look at... The, one of the tropes of his music is the authenticity of his, of his story, of, of his you know, hustler background. And then you have Rick Ross on the song. I really don't. That's, that's a, just a disjunction for me. I just don't understand how, mm. how, how that makes possible. If, I'm, if I never hear Big Sean rap again, I'll, I'll die so happy. I mean, a catalog and features cornier than the entire state of Iowa. meaningless, narcissistic, soulless, rock Nation brunch bars. Like, I just can't. (laughs) I've interviewed the man in his home, so I shouldn't speak ill of him, but, like, that's another story. Um, Dom Kennedy, like, selected good beats once in the early 2000s, and people just keep letting him show up places. I don't know why. Um, And then, so that's that. That's the features. And then we have Hit Boys Beats, which, like, Are fine in their own right, but to me, they don't work with what Benny's doing. There's so much sheen and polish to those beats, whereas, like, Benny's previous work had, you know, it had a lot more grit, a lot more um, traditionalist stuff from Derringer, which I think works really well with him. I think my metric for Benny is if I can't hear Sean Price rapping over it, I don't really want to hear Benny rapping over it. Interesting. And that's that's just me.
3: I I hear that. Don't you think he needed to take a step with his sound, though? Like, he can't can't do 10 atop, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11. Like, he had to go somewhere, right?
0: I mean, it seems to be working for West Side Gun just
3: fine. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder. Yeah. So, I didn't hate the record. I certainly can see where you're coming from with your with your take and it's, it, it's a scorching take, but I, I, like you said it with conviction and I, I'm backing you for it. And I certainly think there is a huge segment of the population that feels that way. For me, the cognitive dissonance a little bit is like, I'm a little burnt out on the Griselda sound, but I hated this way more than I was getting sick of that. So like, I don't know, I don't, we don't want to like re-executive produce the record, but like what, what is one supposed to do? If they can't do the same thing forever and they can't you don't want to, to go kind of blockbuster. You know what I mean?
2: Well, I, I feel like Benny is the artist of that camp. Max, you mentioned West Side Gun has kind of been sticking to his his tried and true sound. I think for Benny, he's less tethered to um to their sound and their lore. Like to me, this is a hustler's record. He's like, I'm on Rick Ross level now. I can work with Rick Ross. Like that I'm a hustler. It's kind of like how, you know, uh, all these guys try to get into politics when they get to a certain level. They're just like, "Fuck it, I'm a hustler." Like I, I'm somehow in this room. I have this access, and so uh, I I kind of understood it. It's called burden of proof, which is like, "Oh yes, this is reasonable doubt." Part twenty two. It was it was very much. I understood from the outset what I was getting into. Um, and what this was gonna be. And so maybe I wasn't as disappointed. I'm like, oh, this is your big record. This is Benny's big record. Uh, that being said, I thought there were some some good moments. I really liked the feature of Freddie Gibbs. Um, I thought that that really worked. Um, but yeah, uh, hip Boy is kind of like, I was talking to Nate about this, I think live, maybe on an IG live that just, it's just not exciting. There's just, I'm not like, oh my God, let me get to this hit boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Show um, me, okay. Show me one work. person who yes.
3: is. Right. M- Max, what did you think of the Nas record? Because in many ways, this has kind of mm-hmm. presaged the Benny, the Benny record and kind of showed us the direction this might have been heading earlier in the summer.
0: Um. I forgot it, like I have every Nas album. <laughs> what Nas record? Radon. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, Life is Good was the last one. And it's tainted by the fact that he's wearing the dress of the, he has the dress of the woman he beat on it, unfortunately.
3: Yeah. No, I hear you. Um,
0: but yeah. not, uh, I, I, I hope that he, Benny doesn't fall into a, a Nas um, arc, which is that his ear is so bad, you almost wish he'd been born deaf um but um you know (laughs) um let's just say that i hope i hope benny turns it around this is kind of like for me him going from like his in his reasonable doubt phase to like in my lifetime volume one where you're like you get records like heart of the city you know like on that jay-z record and you're and you're kind of like i don't know I don't know. Okay. And it took Jay-Z a little while, a little course correction for him to get in there. And I'm willing to grant that to Benny because he's incredibly talented and he does wrap his ass off. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm yeah. just saying... I, I do want to take a moment there to there say pieces. I think yeah. his
3: writing is still very sharp and his delivery is <laughs> is very sharp on this record. And it, I, it, it didn't offend me the way it seems to offend and, um, you and some of the other folks out there. But I it's also like... I. I still don't know what to say about where he should go, or and and I just want to introduce this into the conversation briefly, um because you you mentioned it, Max, like West Side Gun sticking to the formula on who stole the sunshine, or is that the is that the last one the uh, There's yeah. this beat yeah. and I'm not going to get the name of the song right, but it's just aggressively weird, like West Side Gun kind of doubled down on like, okay, yeah. Griselda is about yeah. the street shit. Here's like, I forget the name of the song. And it, ha- it also has a feature on it that I'm not currently remember sing- remembering. So this isn't really good, but it's an interesting uh, way to kind of use the platform that you've been granted as you rise in the level of the industry to kind of like thumb your nose at it or to kind of like um, double down. And Benny seems to be wanting the opposite of that, which is like acceptance. And I don't begrudge him wanting industry acceptance. Does that make sense? That's not a musical comment. It's like a pop scene political
2: but, comment. But 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 Benny is the one, not the one, but he's of the of the Griselda artists, he is the one that has the most, um, I don't know what you want to call it. He would be the most palatable to the widest market. West Side Gun can't do this because West Side Gun is always gonna be West Side Gun. Like even if you paired him up with the most club bangery production. In the history of man, it would just i just don't think it would work, and I think that's why he's sticking to his guns. Thank you very much and kind of it, it kind of doing what what his fans love, and also I think with west side gun it's it's about the aesthetic i don't think Benny is as married to the Griselda aesthetic as as a West Side gun is because that that is him like he's a he's a fashion guy he's a guy who's trying to, he's a trendsetter. so i I think if you take Griselda as a, as a, as a whole thing, like Benny is your, is your kind of mainstream, ascendant Rick Ross type of guy. Sorry, I know the authenticity problems with that comparison. But in terms of musically, Rick Ross, I think suckled at the teeth of Rockefeller, developed his sound, and, and went all the way. West Side Gun is always going to have the weird um, kind of nouveau backpack coke rap audience. Conway is, is for your to your point about uh, you want to hear some Sean P type shit. Uh, your bars, bars, guys. And as a as a unit, that's why I like their group album. As a unit, that's great. Um, I think with Benny, we're just gonna get more of this. So I just I wanna set everybody's <laughs> expectations. They're you gonna don't find wanna, different like, producers.
3: Set yourself up for the next ten years of disappointment now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're are you are you prepared for his Maybach music album? <laughs> totally. It's, it's
2: coming. It's coming. Call Wale.
0: Let's live. Oh let's God. Go. No no one should ever call Wale. <laughs> call Wale. Um all right. We've uh we've
2: gotten Max Max's a uh, four alarm takes on on uh on I, I wanna call this record Reasonable Doubt, burden of proof, law and order, whatever it's called. Um let's talk about uh open Mike eagles new album um and Uh, although he is our podcast benefactor (laughs) uh,
3: yeah with with the caveat that mike owns our podcast network and we are you know i I don't know if we're friends but we're certainly acquaintances so we're gonna tread a little lightly around this one and i i really like him as a person so it's obviously my my view here is a little bit tainted uh but i also think it's a very compelling record and it's a very now record and i read a funny thing on twitter where he's like you know he has the little refrain on the record where he's like it's october and i'm tired october and i'm tired he recorded mm. that last october imagine how he feels now mm. everything is so <laughs> fucked up and it's like we do need reflections of that but max as our guest don't get us fired what do you think about this record
0: <laughs> uh i you share so none of I these allegiances, to, be honest. I, no, I don't. Well, at, see, this is where inviting me on was a little bit problematic because <laughs> I have to confess, Mike has paid me several times over the years to do things for him. Gotcha, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Behind, behind the scenes, a little rap insider stuff for people who are not familiar with the business. Occasionally, rappers and such will need biographies and all that kind of thing. I wrote the about page for Mike's new album. Gotcha. So... that that album being the record we're discussing. So I'm a little bit biased. I've had this record since May. So I've had a long time to sit with it. I've also, um, you know, been writing about Mike since 2013. So this is familiar territory for me. Um, So if you've read anything I've written about him, forgive me if I repeat myself. Um, I will say this is probably a top two Mike record, if not the top for me at this point in my life. And it, it, that just, I think where we're all at, it feels really cathartic to hear someone else working through a ton of things mm. um, that are universal, but also very personal to him and he, and the universal is always in the personal. And I don't know why people um, have a problem with that, like figuring that out, you know, like the, like the trying to relate to the most people is gonna give you the least audience in my opinion. -hmm. Um and uh we can save that for the Black Thought record. Um (laughs) but um so this is some of Mike's catchiest songwriting and most assured singing. And you can hear that on a record like I'm a Joe Star, which is brilliant. Um I've never in my life um because I'm I'm twenty nine, so I'm getting to the point where I am having thoughts about my waistline as well, um, so that welcome that, yes so that that resonates with me um, he's done he's He's done this his whole career, but we're really seeing it magnified on this record, and that thing is balancing pain like deep pain with just incredible moments of levity on the other side and we've never seen him juggle it to this degree and it's Mm. I don't know if he's in the past maybe like wasn't as deft with it and that's maybe why he didn't go as deep on past records but on this it's astounding how well he's able to do that I mean Death Parade is a song about cyclical violence and trauma and it's still catchy as hell and kind Mm -hmm. of fun to listen to. Mm
3: Um, we just—I feel like we should make note that, that we're talking about Open Mike Eagle's brand new album that came out last Friday called "Anime Trauma and Divorce." Um, yes. Damone, we talked a little bit about this on Instagram, but let's let's go several levels deeper. What what are you thinking about this album? How are you taking it? Like, where where is it taking you?
2: Yeah, it was a it was a really. Um, it's interesting, Max. You talked about the personal and the and the the universal, um, and I was totally uh, just engrossed in this record because you know of, of the three things in that title, I've experienced two, and I don't watch anime uh, <laughs> in the last in the last year or so. So, yeah, you kind of see like what what's it like for a top tier lyricist to tell the story of a middle aged dude. Going through middle aged dude. Shit, right? Like that. That and which is the parallel with the Sandman record. Um, but also, I just felt like um, he made an accessible record without compromise. Somehow, you know, he's doing things that that we talked about this on the IG live. That are it feels like a really modern record. I have a seventeen year old son, and I think he could vibe with it. And I wouldn't say that about you know another Mike Eagle record. Um, And so I I felt like he somehow hit all the things, being personal, being funny, being accessible, uh, but telling some, yeah, some really dark stories. um, And also this new, I don't know if it's new, but this kind of emerging, like how do you rap about being a grown ass man? In the pantheon of rapping about being a grown ass man, um, this is right up there. It's not a huge subgenre right now, but I think Mike has a, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's really taking it to, to another level. So um, loved it, uh, we, we Shall See, it. the whole It's October and I'm Tired, like really, that shit hit me. It's, it's one of those where I'm like, is this record going to be so personal that I'm not going to pick it up for fun? So I'm not I'm not sure why I'm at on that, but but overall great, and I recommend everybody everybody peep it.
0: I've come back, to, like I said, I've had it since May, so I've come back to it many times, um, and it gets better every listen. I mean, it's no easier to listen to in some respects. I mean, you listen to the song like the Black Mirror episode, and I mean mm-hmm. the real irony and like the pain in that song is that like it wasn't the black mirror episode. Like there was a lot of other shit that was, you know, going on. And like, that's sure. you learn that the older you get, the longer you be in relationships and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, that was a switch. Um, but I, I think to your, you had a great point about, um, what does middle-age, uh, rap look like? What is, you know, is that, and I think in some respects, Mike is, is carrying on a little bit from, um, a record like fat Lip's solo record Ooh. where he's just like deep deep in just depression and all those mistakes he's made up until that point and we get a song like what's up fat lip which i think you could argue that head ass is probably like a, a ah. continuation of that kind of thing where it's just this doubling down on self-deprecation over and over and over again to the point it's funny but you're also just like <laughs>
3: Be nice yeah, to yourself, bro.
0: man. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah. Th- that's a great and point then, and a really, really good comparison. And I, I just have to throw in, and this is not like serious analysis. Like you guys are uh, like partaking in here, but I don't watch anime, and so I'm curious what I'm missing. Like, do you, either of you got? Damon, you mentioned you didn't. Max, do you like? Is Joe Star a anime reference? Like, I was that was a little confused on that particular term, and I was like, I'm, uh, there's probably a third level. To this I'm not even getting I bet you he's weaving in references and stuff I just don't understand and the furthest that I took it was um, watching the video where I was like oh I bet it's very rewarding for Mike to like see himself rendered as like an anime character and he talks about centering himself as kind of the hero or the protagonist of these things and anime seems to be in many cases if it's not about revenge it's about like battling and the the battle here seems to be mostly internal and so it's it was an interesting mm-hmm. way to take it Um, And I don't know that if I wasn't doing a podcast and like keeping up with the week's releases in this nature that I would necessarily be drawn to an album with that title. But I'm so glad that the kind of rhythm of how we listen for the show forces you to reckon with these things. Because I agree that this is probably if not Mike's best work, it's right up there with his best work and only he could have written this record. And so it's so fascinating to see him take this, this stand and to kind of like, I'm picturing like him pulling his chest open and like showing everyone his heart. And that, that should be commended, uh, whether you love every song or catch every reference or not. Like the guy did something really moving, which is like, go there.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is for rap is always- And um, it's, it's tough to not
3: compare it to the
2: other record that's like that this week. Yeah, yeah. So we,
0: Transition. <laughs> yeah.
2: Nate, Nate got a little segue game. Um so yeah, there's there's a kind of a, almost feels like a companion piece. Um homeboy Sandman's new record, uh Don't Feed the Monster, um also dropped on Friday. They they pull from similar, they're Peyton with similar colors. Um although uh Sandman is a, is a different artist with kind of Somewhat of a different approach, uh, Max. How did that? How did that record strike you?
0: I'm going to use a really facile comparison, uh, which is, you know, I think the artwork, the album artwork for Anime Trauma and Divorce, and Town Boy Sandman's "Don't Feed the Monster" really illustrate um, what you're getting at with painting with different colors. Um, Mike's color, Mike's album color is very vibrant mm-hmm. and bright, and there's like there's a lot of warmth there and then you get homeboy's record and it's it's the album covers in black and white he's got like the most dismal look possible on his face mike look very triumphant on his like he's kind of looking up like you know mm. towards towards something homeboy sandman doesn't seem as though he is out of this or getting out of it just yet it seems like this record is still very mired in the trauma of what he's dealing with um which starts with trauma the first track on the record which is just unsparing and I don't know that I could ever in my life divulge that amount of information to the general public so it's really to be commended um Uh, did you find it probably much max uh, I was coming at it more from a could I do this kind of thing and I but I wonder Uh, if for people who have experienced what he discusses Mm. on that record, Mm. if it felt validating and, and, and cathartic to, to hear it and and spoken by someone, uh, you know, and acknowledging it in such a public fashion when the things that he's discussing, the sexual trauma, the, the, uh, and all of that are things that um, people who have experienced have trouble vocalizing. Right. And, and so, for him to do that could maybe give somebody else the courage to go and do that. So I was just clapping and sobbing at the same time.
3: Yeah. Very, very Mm. well said. Um, Damone and I have already argued about this a little bit and it's, I'm not taking like an anti leading off the album with this song stance. I'm saying it's a lot. It's, it's a lot, it's it's a lot to put on the listener. It's I, I almost think the album itself should come with a trigger warning. Um, It's like,
2: yeah. Not a,
3: yeah. personally an issue that I have to deal with, but I a lot of people do, and there the discourse around these issues in society is always growing and changing, and it's very personal for people. But we also are having kind of a a cultural reckoning around uh, the how much abuse has been hidden throughout all of time, and it, it's just it's being yeah. discussed more and more. And so um, I I I go to Homeboy Sandman for lyrics, right? And I never want to yeah. be. Um, yeah pedantic or um, snooty about what the lyrics are about. But I will say I was taken aback by the the content of that particular song. And as it it goes further into the album, which is fairly long, which is an interesting thing to consider with this kind of record. Um, Mike's Anime Trauma and Divorce clocks in at, I think, a very current 34 minutes Um, that's, that's about how long we get for albums right now. And that's, that's fine. Unless you're like doing something where you need a, a longer soundtrack, but, um, homeboys record is a little bit longer and, um, he has an unrelenting style. Generally, he'll give you a flow change and that will change the dynamic of the song or often in, in, in the same song, he's giving you a lot of different looks, but it's tough to come up for air. Um, when when there's so much happening. So it's, I I realize now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm talking about listening to this album as like a physical experience. And you just don't get that a lot. So I, I want to echo some of what Max was saying in that I commend Homeboy Sandman, a mid-career artist who is like popular, but a kind of still an underground rapper for taking taking this there and for being so raw and for talking about his real life in such a compelling way. But I will say it wasn't especially pleasant um, to listen to. Not that that's what music yeah.
2: is always about, but it's, it's just, it's a lot. And, and from the type of artist that Homeboy Sandman, we've known him to be. So, you know, imagine Redman coming out next week with like a super revealing thing that happened in his life. You know what I mean? We're used to getting like, you're a wordplay guy, you're a breath control guy, you're a guy, you know, you. We we call it I call it affectionately it's rapidly rap like homeboy Sandman I'd say 50 plus percent of his catalog is is kind of rapping about rapping and he's he's probably one of the best ever to do that so uh, this record is is such an interesting departure uh, for him and he pulls it off I think he's able to dig deep it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel weird um, I think Cole Chris's soundtrack. Um, uh, set him up nicely to be able to talk about a lot of things. So there's funny joints in there. Uh, he's got a song called uh, Waiting for My Girl, which is high fucking hilarious about uh, waiting for your your partner to get ready to go somewhere. Not to um, make a
3: classic so LeBlanc think- uh, classic rock track, but it's <laughs> essentially Eric Clapton's You Look Wonderful Tonight for a new generation and a much, much better song. But Damone, please continue. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for the Clapton references. It's, it's why Nate, Nate the Blanc is on the show. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very interesting record. And I love that he, he was able to, to make this, uh, this turn because I find that with some of the more skilled craftspeople, and we'll talk about Black Thought in a minute. Um, after a while, it just kind of like, you know, your parlor trick plays out and then what, what do you got? And so what I loved is that uh, Sandman has been able to pivot into some media content. And I, I do think about like, yeah, it can be a little flinchy at times on this record. But um, I think with rap, we have become numb to a certain type of descriptiveness. Like when, when, when West Side Gun tells you about a triple homicide, you have your coffee and you're just you're rolling with it, right? Because we've heard so much of that, but I think part of what makes this so jarring is that men, especially um and especially like you know tough rapper guys, really don't reveal things like that, and I think that's what made it so like oh shit this is this is wild. We're not used to hearing it like this so i I feel like um it's a good record. it is a long record i I hate to be a complainer in that sense, but I want to say it's like maybe seventeen tracks or something like that. Um, but I love him in Quelle in Chris like I think that's the right that's a great pairing a right team.
1: I, I gotta um, say I love yeah, I, I really, uh, really
3: producer do. for hire kind of vibes as uh, a good move for Quelle Chris like his his own albums and the Chris keys album this year I think we we've talked about quite a bit on the show. One of the year's more interesting releases but they're such self-contained little worlds it's very interesting to hear his sound expand a little bit with the help of different vocals but max i wanted to ask you a question because you have a unique perspective on this you you got the open mike eagle way before like for me i heard both for the first time on friday and so it's impossible not to yeah. compare them but yeah. given the gift of a different vantage that you have do you think of them on similar terms or are we forcing that issue as The listener who just received them as commercial release dates
0: you get what i'm asking yes no they're i think i think it's wise to to hold them to juxtapose them um they they're topically similar um as we said and um they're 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 both shifts for the artists i mean mike has always been personally revealing but he's never gone to these depths um uh, in terms of um, Homeboy Sandman's arc, uh, which Damone was talking about, I it made me think of um, Aesop Rock's shift from his mm-hmm. previous records to The Impossible Kid, which was yeah. probably the the closest to the bone he's ever come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it being a rapidy rap guy that you were kind of like, well, where does this go? Where do we go from here? And now we're seeing with this new record that uh, the publicist hasn't sent me yet. Uh, <laughs> someone sent it to me. Um, for the new Aesop Rock record that's forthcoming, it's like a whole fantasy thing, and I'm curious oh, as to like where Sandman goes after this. If he reverts back to the rapidy rap stuff, or he goes further in this territory. Um, while we're still on the album, I wanna I wanna just say my effusive praise for Quelle's uh, production. I actually interviewed Quelle a few months back for um, a. a Running feature I do at Passion of the Weiss called Loop Dreams, where I talk to producers about their uh, composition process, what's in their studio, and how they gather samples and that kind of thing. And Quelle's got a really fascinating way that he uh, pulls samples and stuff. Most of his stuff does not come from records, it comes from random TV shows, it comes Mm. from, uh, you know, like sounds in video games that he hears, sounds in animes that he hears you know, like he's used, he's made drums out of people falling down the stairs. So like his, <laughs> his, his stuff is always fascinating. And I think it's just wild to see him continue to expand that sound on this record with the gift of like knowing how dark this was going to be with Sandman. And I mean, I, I could only, it would be really fascinating if you could get Quelle on the podcast to talk what it, to him about what it was like, hearing these records as salmon was making them and right. how he negotiated that as a producer privilege to that kind of first listen.
3: Yeah, that's that's fascinating. You're, you'd, you'd be the recipient essentially for the, these traumatic experiences and like obviously they were comfortable enough with each other to go there. Um, so I'm sure there's, there's quite a tale to be told there. That's really interesting. Um, it's almost like the thoughts
2: were really dark yeah, almost black, if you will. Hey, um, I'm a professional. So, I um, so the I want to say the final because there were other records. There's records we didn't touch on. There's so but, uh, many
3: records, but and then, can I just like throw in real quick? Uh, it's a gift to get a release day like this. Like yeah, I needed that so sure. bad on Friday. This is like no one's business, but it's my podcast, so I'll say it. My wife went back to work one day a week last week so for the first time in seven months I got to listen to loud music during the day while I did my day job shit and to have four and really it was more like six or seven new records that I hadn't heard that I and most I had not been promoted on either so it was like this is brand new sounds blasting directly in my face like I needed that so bad like I just needed to listen to some fucking loud rap music you know what I mean and to have all these tangents and connections so anyway i just want to say it's weird when the release calendar lines up like this and we get such compelling things all together and we should appreciate it when it happens because there's been some weeks during quarantine where i'm like right. I don't think anything dropped like nothing cool happened today like my friday will be boring anyway
2: yeah yeah and i'm sure your neighbors appreciate it <laughs> they to... they've, they've
3: had seven months off they can take it yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, so one of the other major releases of of last week was uh, Black Thoughts, uh, Stream of Thought, Part 3. Um, we talked a little bit about this on our IG live stream. Um, Black Thought, unquestionably, one of the best to ever do it. Um, but the there's always kind of this like, ooh, but what is he going to do on the record? Like, there's always this kind of like, you're always wondering like what that record's going to sound like. Um, and so, so Max, you, you've had a chance to listen to it. Um, and I'm assuming you've heard the other kind of streams of thought um, installments. What, what was your take on, on this latest uh, Black Thought release?
0: Uh, let me preface this by saying, um, Black Thought is one of the most gifted uh, tech technicians to ever Uh, pick up a microphone and the early Roots stuff is I mean all most of the Roots stuff I mean up until like um about 08 I would say anything from like 08 back is pretty much excellent and worth your time if you've never listened to it podcast listeners uh go check out those Roots records um but but how many streams of thought do we need (laughs) um so Um, I think the problem for me with this Black Thought record is there's a real um, gap between the technical ability and the uh, lyrical content on this record. Um, Mm. This is somebody who, uh, you know, is posited as, positioned himself kind of as like a more quote unquote woke MC of late. Right, and he always has been. I mean, the roots were, you know, taking down commercial rap back in the day with their videos and all kinds of great things that they were doing. But then you get to this new record, and you have a song like "Thoughts" versus everybody, from which I am about to quote. Forgive me. Um, you can either stay broke or be as wealthy as Jeff Bezos if you just stay woke. And that is probably the least woke bar I've ever heard in contemporary rap. I'm sorry, Black Thought, but you know, that sounds a little bit pro-capitalist and pro-exploitation, if you know anything about Jeff Bezos. I heard that and my immediate thought was maybe you could have not written that and taken some of the Fallon money and donated to organizations for labor unions, you know, just... I
3: don't know. I wonder that's, if, that's a different uh,
0: stream of thought, maybe. Yeah,
3: if <laughs> Bezos bars will be, come to be seen as like uh, shameful the way like, 80s rappers Trump bars are now. It's like, yeah, I, just, like, yeah. I can easily see that going there. Um, I, I don't think this is a bad record, but I also don't think it's a good record. And I think if you would have told me a couple of years ago, I wouldn't like a full-length Black Thought record where you, like just bars out for 12 songs. I I would have told you you were crazy. I was dying for something like that. Um, I I just, I want to represent Dave, um, our not completely well colleague who couldn't join us this week. And I know Dave would say, there's too much singing on this record. And so I want to represent that viewpoint and I agree with it as well. And Dave and I have been talking about this since we're in our early twenties. It's just not necessary to curate an album with so many sung hooks when you're like the bar guy. Like, you can say anything you want and make it compelling. And there, there is a lot of that action on the first two streams of thoughts. And now it's like, okay, if we're going to make it an albumy album, it needs all these things. And that's not how music is anymore. You don't have to do that. You can do whatever you want. So yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's not landing for me. Um, and that's fine. But I, I honestly don't know if I'm ever going to listen to it again. Like, what, this might be a two listen. Like, I got the promo. I kind of gave up on it about three quarters of the way through. I listened to this on Friday.
2: I was like, I'm good. I don't, I, so maybe, is it a bad record? Does that make yeah. something a well, bad record? Well, I don't know that it, that makes it a bad record, given how much shit comes out, right? Right. I feel that right. you has to be of, truly special to return to it, kind of. Just because there's a bunch of decent things that I run once, and I go, oh, that was cool, and then it, you, you're on to the next thing. What, what I will say for Black Thought, and I, I've said this a couple times, is um, the, the album format and song structure um, isn't necessarily the best platform for his talent. When, when we saw him rap for 20 minutes straight, um, you know, without pausing, just kind of ripping through these bars, incredible breath, breath control, presence, all the way down to his beard was groomed. Like that, that shit is like, that is the the best format for his talent. And I was telling Nate, uh, we're talking offline. If he gave us one of those 20 minute freestyles a year and like, I don't know, we all PayPal them or something. I'd be good with that. You know what I mean? Just over over whatever instrumental. I think um, at its best, this album kind of gives him the space to to do his thing. At the worst, it starts to sound like some of the more boring Roots material um, that you reference, like some post-08 Roots um, type of stuff, which, yeah, it, it really doesn't work. Um, and I feel like he's under pressure to live up to the, the GOAT moniker. And I don't know that he'll be able to do that on the record. I'm, I'm very much of... Uh, we as listeners have to kind of break out of the the way you prove your greatness is by an album run. Like this is stupid, um,
3: but I'm gonna say it to you guys. But okay, so it's like it, he does the freestyle. He like breaks the internet, right? That truly things like that don't happen that often. He caught lightning in a bottle. It's amazing. Well, well, you know, if I ever have kids, I'll be showing that to my kids. Be like, you want to hear a real rap? Boom! Yeah. This is it, right? Okay, so he does the. EP with Ninth Wonder. I'm a fan of that EP. I think that one's really good. I think the second one with Salam Rumi is slightly less good. We just heard my take on this one. I had the thought while you were talking to him, I was like, you know who we should do a record with? Quest Love. That would be so sick. (laughs) Just Quest Love, play some drums, and Black Hawk, just just rap. And, like, I'm, you know, I'm a little punchy. It's getting to be a little late on a Monday night where I had a hard day at work. But I was like, what a fucking idiot. But also, wouldn't that be so good? And it's what is missing from the 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 current work is there's too much embellishment and it's like it's, it needs good. to be stripped back which i believe i'm yes anding your point which like it's yeah. a little frilly at this point the later root yeah. stuff with yeah. all the like yeah. like emphasis on storytelling and thematics and the tuba guy has to have a part on every song you know it's like let's just take it back to where it was fun and when yeah. it was really fun is like kind of like the like right after Organics and right before Do You Want More when it's like they're not busking anymore, but they're like studio warrior deft MCs and like a stripped down band. And like, I I know we'll never go back to that. And that was a fun time in my life. And that's what I'm remembering. And like being so like, that's what I miss. But to be honest, just hearing him over like the kids who hit on buckets in the street would be preferable to this kind of, I'm going to keep using the term like frilly palette. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Real albumy, an albumy ass album uh, um, in a short attention span era. I don't think benefits the great thought. And, you know, I think with him, he can lock, if he locked in with the right producer, um, I think it should happen. I think the ninth wonder thing worked because ninth has really rappy beats. You know what I mean? Like he has beats that are beat tape, rap on these beats type beats. And I hope um, Black Thought gets back to that. I don't know that he will, because what you have to understand also is that my guy is on Fallon every night, is around musicians. I'm sure he, he, he sees himself as a musician. And that's what you get on this record. It's like, I'm a musician making a musical ass album. And I think us fans want, we want words, man. Like just just give us the words and the beats and we're we're straight. Um, So we we love to we love two records. We didn't love two other records so much. Um, And that was only four of a bunch of records that came out. So Uh, Max, did you uh, listen to the Kenny Siegel?
0: The uh, instrumental record?
2: Yeah.
3: Yes, I did. Yeah, that for me that I was like, this will be the one I actually listen to all the time. Like, I need I need beats like this in my life. Like, I just need this my. I'll like listen to this while I do the dishes or feed my cat. You know what I mean? Like, that record actually suits my life a lot more. And like Kenny's yeah. like on a, on this crazy run, and he has such a like great organic take on beat making that i was like i know it's not the same thing as what we're talking about but of the things i listened to on friday i was like oh i'll listen to this like a hundred (laughs) times
0: yeah if you haven't listened to his happy little trees i recommend happy little trees if you haven't listened to the jefferson park boys album uh, uh horns for dogs that is absolutely fantastic um i think kenny siegel while we're here is uh Arguably the greatest producer in indie rap of the last five years. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. If there's anyone that's putting out. He's the alchemist of indie rap, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree. Interesting. I think alchemist is still the alchemist of indie.
0: Rap. <laughs> I mean, but alchemist does that. Alchemist pops up on Kendrick projects. He pops up on like you know a bunch of different stuff. I mean, the indies kind of a
3: it's a weird word it's It's a a weird word right now like
0: it's it pretty much means anything it was weak on my part fair enough
3: all good all good. good Uh, Max, do you have anything coming up you want to plug, or uh, where can people find your work? Like, uh, we kind of skipped the whole like tell the people about yourself oh, segment sure. of the interview, but tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um,
0: first and last, I want to shout out uh, my cousin Eric Hedrick, who listens to the podcast. So I believe Nate knows. I'm texting with uh, him on the yeah. side. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I want to shout out Eric Hedrick. He's a good good cousin. Uh, good good friend. Good and, good um, friend of
3: the program status.
0: And uh, as far as where can, where can people find me, uh, you'll find me tweeting sporadically at <laughs> TheMaxB, T-H-E-E, because the other one was taken. Uh, and that would also be at TheMaxB on Instagram. And I have a website where you can, you know, read selections of things that I've pulled from my about seven or eight years of doing this now. And that's JamesMaxBell.com because MaxBell.com was taken. <laughs> Um, I just can't get those, you know, that SEO. I have, uh, screwed
3: my, some guy has my real name on Twitter. And so I have to use Nate J LeBlanc. And every time I look at my phone, it bothers me. And every once in a while, I'll check to see if he let his account go dormant or if I can like negotiate with him for it or something, though
0: I have nothing to give Mm. him. So I feel your pain. On the names (laughs) note, um, when you guys email people, like in my list of emails that I see, it just says dad, comma, me. Like, cause I'm in the thing and that's really disturbing and you guys should do something about it. I'm voicing pit my complaint pit as I'm a guest huh? on the
3: Yes, fair nice. enough. Your dad wants have you have to you appear on a water. podcast.
0: <sighs> have I been drinking water? <laughs> yes, that's going to be it's our like,
3: next email. If, it's like the email is coming from your dad. So it's like a, a thing a dad would say. Yeah. It's always a good joke when you have to explain it. One of the best things we do on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Um, I, I Yeah, dude. Th- thank you, uh, Max, for hanging out with us. And uh, this was fun. And uh, yeah, if you uh, had a podcast, you would get flamed on Twitter because your takes are very strong. We t- we find to find a more nuanced way to say things, but it was very fun to, uh, to go back and forth with you. And I appreciate how passionate you are about hating the Benny album in particular. You just really went there and it was
2: fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> And again, and again, that's the Max B on Twitter. Not dad by time. Not, not dad comma me. Uh, hey, if yeah. you want
0: to come find me, I'm in Long Beach. Uh, <laughs> and uh, bring a mask and we'll talk it out. You know?
2: There it is. Uh, Max, thanks so much for coming on the program, man. Uh, this is going to be a harsh and awkward segue into our interview with uh, our fellow podcast network, label mate as it were, and don't Midwest MC illogic dad bod rap pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back every week. We have interviews with people who are moving, shaking, commenting on culture. This week, joining us in Zoom, we have Illogic. How's it going, man?
1: What's up, man? It's going all right. Um, it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yes, uh, classically Monday night
3: always a great time to do an interview that's why we set these up this way everyone's no one's ever tired or over it um especially not us so uh we appreciate you with us and i know you're a couple hours ahead of us uh in time frame but uh it's it's good to have you on we are now uh podcast network mates um, as we are part of super duty tough work, which is also on the Stony Island uh, podcast network. So Mm. um, we're going to also try to connect with blueprint at some point, but yeah, just like really, really happy about that. And um, obviously Mike is the connection there and it's just dope to be affiliated with such a great team. So thank you.
1: Yeah, it is exciting. It's exciting to, I'm, I'm looking forward to see, you know, what, what else, what doors it opens down the road.
3: Mm -hmm. As are we, Uh, but let's, let's jump into it. Let's talk about your music. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story. It's not really a question, Um, but I just want to tell you, I remember vividly um, I used to be the rap buyer for an independent music store. And I remember vividly when the right to death two CDs came in and it was, um, you know, the way that you did that release, Uh, really meant something to me. And I'm the kind of guy who, when I liked a record, I would write a little review and tape it up underneath the CDs to try to make people buy it. And we, we like, um, uh, sold out of them very, very quickly. And I got as many of them as I could get my hand on, but can you kind of tell the people the story of that release and the artwork and kind of like give the people what I'm hinting at about that, the way you did that?
1: Uh, yeah, for uh, right to death Two, what we did was took, um, I think it was like 500 CDs or a thousand CDs or something, um, and had a graffiti writer come and do a piece on the back, which was the album cover, which turned out to be the album cover. And each uh, CD was a piece of the actual, like the first. I think the first 500 were like an actual piece of the artwork, and then we mass produced after that. But the first 500 that I sold hand to hand was an actual piece of the artwork. They were numbered and everything. It was really cool.
3: Yeah, it was such a cool idea. And, um, you know, it, it was a little bit past like the heyday of like four elements style, um, you know, hip, everybody needing to be such a hip hop purist, but I loved the, the nod to that. And it was just so cool to get something unique. Like, um has, have people, reached out to you afterwards and been like, I have the corner of the shelto shoe or like shown you like their CD. Like, has there ever been a, 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 a an
1: online thing around it? Yeah. Well, there's been like a few people like, you know, like I got this blob. I don't know what part of the, <laughs> the cover it is. Um, but yeah, there's been a few people that have like brought their pieces to the show and shown me. And, um, I like to give a shout out to my friend, Aaron Evans, who, um, was head of Dove Inc. at the time, who put it out. It was actually his idea. Okay. Because um, the the first uh, Right to Death, we did a 1,000 of those, and we had people do individual art on the back of the CDs. We went to a um, – we have a community festival every summer, and we just set up by a tree with all of these CD cases and just had people just come over and draw on the backs of each, you know, all of them, and I actually signed – each CD by hand. So yeah, that was the first, the first right to die. That's awesome. And
3: I, I I probably shouldn't have led with that question, but I just wanted to see where, where we were with that. And I, I guess what I want to say is this, these are examples of analog, not pre-internet, but early internet ways that you've always like been really in touch with your fan base and like doing things a little bit differently. And like you, you're kind of a stalwart, independent MC who's like both a very good MC and rhyme writer, but you're also like, you have a career, like you care about these people. You you seem to be really in touch with your fans. So can you take us back to the beginning of how you decided to become an MC and when you kind of first began to think of yourself as a professional?
1: Um, well, uh, I wrote my first rhyme when I was nine years old. Um, and, you know, just hip hop, I was drawn to hip hop because I was writing short stories early on and poetry and stuff at a pretty young age. And when I first heard hip hop, it was like, oh, you can do that with words too, you know? So, um, you know, I started writing and I didn't really consider myself an MC until I got to high school when I um, hooked up with a crew that I was in called um, the third. And we started actually doing shows around town and, you know, kind of got known a little more. And I was, in battles and things like that. So, um, and I was, I would win, I won uh, the hip hop expo um, freestyle competition when I was 16. Oh, wow. So from there, you know, I kind of got a little name in the city and, you know, people started paying attention and it kind of, you know, took off, took off from there.
2: That's so dope. Um, I, I wanted to ask kind of riffing off of, of Nate's question You've had this long career um, as, a, as an indie rapper. Um, and even on Super Duty Tough Work, um, sometimes you guys will delve into some of the best practices for like sustaining a career. I was wondering if you could just share with our audience, like what are one or two key things that have been crucial for you sustaining over 20 plus years um, as, as, a, as an independent rapper?
1: Consistency um if you you know look at my career i don't go too too long without putting something out um i did have a long break between celestial clockwork and diabolical fun um but that was due to personal reasons but since then you know every year to two years um you know unless there's something crazy going on um i try to drop something um also also just you know continuing to practice your art and get better you know not get complacent as an artist because if you get complacent, then your fans lose interest as well because it's it looks like you have lost interest. So if mm. you don't continue to improve yourself and improve on your craft, then it shows. So, you know, that's why I've picked up the camera. That's why I've started producing. That's why I've started mm. doing all these different things to continue to improve my, upon, you know, myself and give my fans something new to look forward to every time I release something. So I would say those two are pretty crucial.
2: How do you, how do you deal with you, you talked about this kind of constant improvement and and building on your craft? How do you deal with when you make or maybe this hasn't happened to you but how do you deal with when you make artistic choices and you choose to kind of develop and go in a direction and maybe everybody's not with you? Like sometimes an artist will grow and change and the fan base is like do that thing you did 10 years ago again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard, you know, because we are artists. So we do want to grow and we don't want to be stuck in a, in the mud. We don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. As artists, we it's, you know, if, if you're a true artist, it's in your nature to grow and want to experiment and want to try new things, especially with music, especially, you know, even painters and things like that always want to try you know, this new technique, you know, that I just learned or this new thing that I picked up. And if the fans like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But sometimes it's a blessing in disguise because if you do something different, you may pick up, you know, a different fan base and then, you know, bringing them all together on your next project when you do something that's more in the vein that your regular fans are used to. So, you know, it's a it's a gift and a curse, you know, at times, you know, your fans can, you can lose them for a second. But if you're consistent, then they know you have something else coming out in the next few years that may, you know, they'll continue to check for as long as you stay inactive. I'm uh,
3: curious about your relationship with Blueprint and sort of musically, um, and I'll just preface this very briefly and then ask a real question, or I'm going to try to. Um, the On the last episode of Super Duty Tough Work, you guys were talking about what it costs to put out an album and what it costs to tour and that kind of like peek behind the curtain for people of um, what it's like to be an artist in 2020. And you you said something interesting, which was that when you were initially signed to his label, Weightless, as an artist, you just kind of show up and say your rhymes and they took care of everything for you. And then as you kind of got on your own independent hustle, you realized what had happened behind the scenes. And like you had to kind of start tour managing yourself and handling your own finances and paying people out yourself. And I'm wondering, having heard that, does it give you like a deeper appreciation for him as a friend, business partner cohort, or have the terms of the relationship changed over time is I guess really what I'm trying to get
1: at. Oh yeah. Like print is, I mean, I've known print for, you know, over 20 years. So print has always been kind of that big brother, you know, cause I'm the oldest of my, my brothers. So I've never really had a big brother. I got a few older cousins, but print has always been like in that big brother role, even in those times when I didn't really know what was going on behind the curtain. Cause he took, he made sure I was taken care of, you know? So, and in the times that I've gotten into you know, in the times that I've grown and started taking care of my own finances and putting my own records out and understanding the things behind that, he's the main person that I talk to to kind of guide me through things. And even if I don't talk to him, I watch everything that he does. And, you know, I'll ask his opinion. And sometimes I'll, okay, print did it like that, but I'm gonna do it like this, put a little twist on it so it fits what I'm doing, you know, with my thing. So, I mean, he's like, he's like the guy that I look to, you know, all the time. So, and, you know, it's like, we're, we're best friends. I mean, we're basically brothers the way that it, you know, our relationship is especially at this point.
2: That's dope. And you you definitely get that energy on the podcast. I I will, we'll definitely delve back into your music, but I do want to talk a little bit about your podcast. Um, How, how do you balance those two things? Because there's been like this, this wave of rappers, of, of which I'm one, who kind of like, I was rapping, and now I'm kind of doing a podcast. And that's where my hip-hop energy goes. Maybe Joe Budden is probably the, the best example of that, most successful. Um, mm-hmm. how, how have you balanced having a podcast but still being active
1: as an, as an artist? Honestly, the podcast has helped. Because, you know, a lot of the things we talk about, even we talk about it on the podcast, a lot of the things that we talk about on the podcast, sometimes we go back to those episodes and get mm. reinvigorated and, you know, or we'll talk about something that, you know, we're lacking. And so, you know, the podcast kind of puts us on front street and makes us accountable to mm. the people that listen. Because if, you know, if we're giving them these this advice and we're not taking the advice, then the advice could be seen as bullshit, you know what I mean? So in that, you know, we, we, we definitely, you know, take our own advice. So the podcast has definitely helped me become more active and actually be a little more assertive in my quest to be a better independent artist.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very cool slant. You guys took the, the kind of like, um, I don't quite want to call it self-help, but um, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like, careerist advice by guys who are really doing it. And I think it does hold a lot of authenticity and you guys have both been successful for a long time within, within this niche. And I guess, um, I don't know if you guys use this term, like, what do you call what you do? Is it independent hip hop? Is it underground hip hop? Like have there been different names for it at different times? Like do you have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of different names. I mean, I think when I first started, I was a backpack rapper. Um, yep. I think that's what yep. they called us. And then, you know, it went to underground and now, now it's seen as independent because, you know, there's some people that are may on, you know, in the, in the major leagues that are considered independent artists. So independent music is kind of taking a life of its own and we're still considered, I think, underground as well, but more to our fans, we're more independent artists and, you know, they like to use the underground term to make sure that, you know, we have a, um, a separation from what's considered mainstream. Um, but I guess the under- underground title is what they call us now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that they've been used pretty interchangeably. And I, I wanted to ask you something because you're a Midwest guy and the, the a big like place that that energy um, kind of coalesced in the past was at Scribble Jam. And I was just wondering, like, do you have any Scribble Jam stories, like a crazy cipher or a thing that happened in the hotel nobody knows about? Like, do you have any, like, peeks behind the scenes for people who were not able to uh, to attend back then or who, like, have this kind of – has this kind of mythical quality? Um, do you, can you share anything with us?
1: Well, there's – I mean, there's so many um, just little things. Um, like one interesting thing is that um, – me and idea when we were as me and idea were like the youngest of the whole orphanage crew, all the rhyme sayers, waitlist Dev Jooks, all of those cats that all knew each other, but me and him were the youngest, but we were the, the battle rappers of the crew and print as well. But there was a, um, a battle that happened that um, me and idea, you know, everybody knew that me and him were like the guys to be, you know, so, the people who organized the battle put both of us on opposite ends of the bracket so we could, you know, get to the finals and battle each other. And we ended up going nine rounds because the crowd could not decide who won. And he ended up beating me. Um, but that was one of those times that mm. I remember. And it's a, it, um, I think Buck 65 actually had it on tape. And Ooh. I don't know if he still has it or not. I have. I haven't heard it. I've never heard it. Um, but I think he had it on tape. Um, and there's, um, I mean, just so many cyphers with everybody who's somebody now in underground hip hop, you know, they were there in, in, you know, at Scribble Jam in those cyphers. It was just, it was just an amazing time just to be part of, part of that scene and part of hip hop in general.
3: That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I I never made the trip. I knew a lot of people who did. It's just like, um, I always wonder, and I covered this on something we dropped actually today. Like I I was talking to someone who was on Def Jokes, Alaska, and I was like, what was it like? And he was like, it was like a bunch of guys smoking weed, playing music for each other. Like, it's not as cool as you think it was. (laughs) And so I guess- I'm kind of like i now. I'm always curious. Like for the people who were there, is it more of it? Was it more of that vibe? It's
1: it's like the the hotel room smelled terrible. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. See, like it was. There were those times, and but for me, when I first got into it, I was so young, and I had never been to anything like that. Like that was the kind of stuff that I heard about that happened in New York, right? You know, right, so that, like like. Right. And Scribble Jam had been going on for a while before I actually went for the first time. And when I first went, like I was in heaven. And the fact that, you know, I had a little name too. So I you got, got to go backstage and hang out with, you know, people and, you know, be, you know, judge the battles and things like that. Like it was, it was just a fun time just to be around all of your peers because, you know, really for a lot of us, especially cats that lived in New York and Chicago, and you know, further away, like, unless we were touring, those were the only times that we really saw each other, you know, until we really started touring heavily. Um, so, you know, it was always great. It was like a family reunion a lot of times.
2: That's, that's dope. So I, I want to touch a little bit on this idea of, of hip hop being kind of, it can be a really regional music. Um, you know, we're me, me and Nate are, are are West Coast guys, and that definitely has influenced kind of the lens which we take in the culture. Um, do you feel as as somebody who came out of Ohio uh, with a lot of other talented people? Do you feel the term Midwest um, kind of encompasses? Your region and sound, or do you think of yourself as more like I'm from Ohio? I'm from Columbus. And is there no, you know, kind of tangible thing there?
1: Um, I mean, I consider I consider myself Midwest, and I think we don't have a problem with that with that title. But we represent Columbus, Ohio. You know, before we represent being Midwest, um, and it's interesting. Like you know, I was more influenced by West Coast rap than East Coast you know but I did take you know a little bit from both but um as far as style as far as you know like being a little more out there with you know uh, vo- vocal inflections and things like that um, I really got a lot of that from listening to project bloat and you know a lot of those mm-hmm. guys but we have no problem you know with the Midwest moniker and I think it's cool that we're in the Midwest because we kind of get the best of both coasts and even down South and everything like we're kind of in the middle of everything. So it works out well for us.
3: Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, I guess I, I want to ask you about your lyrics and your lyric writing, but I don't really know how to. And I I guess like, it's hard to, again, just go with me here for a sec. Like I listened to maybe three or four of your albums today. It's like, you've said so many things, right? It's like it, through all that time, like you, you have, you have a, a dense, style you you you've like you've said a lot of words over the time and um I guess I want to ask you like do you ever feel like you're running out of things to say or is it always a reflection of where you are as a person or if you could just talk to us a little bit about like your writing as you've moved through time
1: well it's just I mean I'm always growing and always changing and you know every day is something new to write about really you know, so it's, it's never, you never run out of things to write about. It's just if you're motivated to write about those things. Sure. So, you know, with having children, you know, I have three teenage boys and, you know, every week with them, there's something, you know, I'm married. So, you know, navigating through life with the mate, um, you know, that you're, you know, attached to like that for the rest of your life. You know, a lot of those things, there's always something new that we're discovering about each other in our relationship, Um, you know, just working in corporate America, like there's, there's always, you know, there's always something to write about, you know, just because as you continue to grow and learn about things, you know, if you're, if you're a writer you always have inspiration in that regard. So I never yeah. had a, had an issue thinking I would run out of stuff to write about.
3: Sure. And then perhaps that was inelegantly phrased. And I know that there's like probably 400 albums we all love about how everyone else is a whack MC <laughs> and I'm the best MC. So <laughs> you don't really need something to write about per se. I guess I just wanted to ask you and maybe if we can go back into it just a little bit, like, are you always looking for like, a poetic angle or like a word you specifically want to draw to rhyme upon or like, how do you go about constructing your verses? Is like, I guess I want to go a little bit more down
1: that road. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't look to go in the poetic route. It's just how I write, you know, because like I was, my mom had me reading the dictionary when I was, you know, in elementary and middle school. Um, So I, I had a pretty large vocabulary, Larry, coming up and I always was excited about the English language and always, you know, I would find words to use in rhymes just to see if I could use them and make them make sense and even if I was talking about a Wack and see, I would, you know, try to find a crazy word to describe them or something. Um, It's always about the challenge for me. It's not necessarily um, about the angle. Um, A lot of times I try to find stories to write about and things to, you know, topics to tackle, but I try to see like okay what is the what is the coolest way that I could approach this topic you know what I mean like what is a style I haven't used before what is a rhyme pattern I haven't used before so you know a lot of times I may I may just start with a word or phrase that I've been thinking about for a few weeks and eventually it'll turn into a topic a lot of times when i start writing i don't have a topic in mind when i first put pen to pad but it kind of mm. develops along the way
3: right on uh, i appreciate that and then the, to kind of like close out that, that chapter uh what do you think is your best work in terms of writing like w- which which project of yours do you think encompasses your best written work
1: um <sighs> That's hard. Cause I have like a few, like a, I have a couple of different ones. Like I think autopilot is in that conversation. I think celestial clockwork is in that conversation. Yeah. I think capture the sun is in that conversation, but you know, there's so many, like there's so many songs individually that I think are some of my greatest writing. Like, you know, I wish you would make me, which is on celestial clockwork, but, um, um, Hating in the puddle, you know, from Unforeseen Shadows. Um, I mean just I have so many songs. I think it would be more of a song selection than sure. an album selection. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um in that in that sense, you know, but I think Capture the Sun, Autopilot and Celestia are probably my best writing in my opinion
3: right on i i personally i think celestial clockwork is your masterpiece and i've listened to it many many times over the years so i was interested to see if you would would go down that road um but let's let's turn our attention to your new work um you have a you have an album coming out let's talk about it tell us about it please
1: um well it's called auto Uh, it's called autopilot it comes out um officially um october 20th which is next tuesday and um it's my first self produced album um and I'm super excited to share um share it with everyone um The album is basically about um it has it has its foothold in you know betterment of society betterment of yourself as a person, but also understanding that There are a lot of things in this life that we have to deal with and everything isn't always going to be perfect, but how we navigate through those things. Um, So it's it's definitely an exciting I mean, I'm excited because it's my first self-produced album. So I'm interested to see what people think of my production. Yeah. And, you know, they've a lot of people have heard my production over the last few years since I've been sharing beats and stuff, but not as you know, not with me rhyming over myself, my own production and everything. So I'm interested, you know, to see what everyone thinks and I'm, I'm excited about it.
2: As that's are dope. we, yeah. Yeah. I heard the uh I heard the single Aphex Twin um a little earlier today, which I, I really dug and um feels urgent, man. That was my takeaway. It feels like something that's that's very much of this
1: moment, very urgent. So
2: definitely looking forward to the album.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, i I mean it's it's one of those things it's like having a baby, you know, like you take all this time, especially, you know, because I went into learning production knowing that I would create this album really? not knowing what it would, not knowing what it would be, but I went into production, like, okay, I'm going to create an album. I'm going to get to a point where I can produce my own album. And this was a thought that I had all the way back when I um, did Celestial Clockwork. I I always told myself, I'm going to produce an album of mine Hmm. one day. And I always held on to that. And so I took the last five years and, really dug into learning production like for a whole two and a half years straight in the time that I um, made most of the production for this that's all that I did was study production I watched tutorials three four hours a night just working on how to chop samples you know all of that stuff so I really kind of put the work in to to get to this point and again I'm super excited to share yeah. with everyone that's awesome. I it, the way you just
3: phrased that made me think of it. Like you have an expectation for yourself of where where things need to be, and you wouldn't have dropped it until you felt it was good enough. So you you've kind of oh, built yeah. up. Um, you 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 didn't have to learn how to make beats. Like I probably most of us started messing around with some kind of drum machine in high school. You had to make good beats
1: good enough for you to put out and to rap over, which is kind of a separate right. phenomenon, right? Yeah, that's completely different. I mean, I was making pretty good beats when I first started, just because I've been around some of the best producers in the underground all my career. So yeah. I've been, I've watched R. J. make beats and Blueprint make beats and been around ASAP and Blockhead, you know. So I've seen all this, you know, all this stuff. But making my own production and making sure I don't sound like anyone else as much mm-hmm. as I can, um, and also, but making things that I think are dope enough for me that inspire me to write. You know, and write songs that I think are, that are good enough to share with everyone. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty good, man. I think it's a good record. <laughs> How exciting! <laughs>
3: all right, we can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure to talk to you and um, follow your career for all this time. And uh, yeah, just um,
1: looking forward to hearing this record, especially given um, what we just talked about. It's gonna be awesome. Cool. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it, and um, I've been listening to you guys for for a little bit now. So, oh, thank you um, so much. That's really cool to you know get get
3: get my foot in the door. Absolutely. Um, we're it's the honored to have you into as we said at the top be teammates. So maybe we can figure out some ways to uh to kind of intertwine the shows in the future. Uh, we'll we'll reach out on the side, but yeah, this is cool, man. Thank you.
1: Thank you thank so much. So man. much. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Take care. Peace. All right. Peace.
2: Dad Bod Rap Pod. That was our interview with Illogic. Want to thank him for coming on the pod. It's great to be kind of label mates in the company of, of, a, of a dope MC and a, and a dope podcaster. Um, so we we enjoyed that conversation. Also, a shout out to Max B who came on uh, during our intro segment uh with with the fire takes the views and opinions expressed by Max B do not necessarily reflect those of the Dad Bob Rap Lightweight though, Loki. Yeah, you know, it it's nice to hear someone
3: so sure of themselves like he I, I I should have said this while he was on it. I don't think it sounds like a dig coming after. He takes the critic part of Rap Critic pretty serious. <laughs> And yeah. You know what? You're supposed to. You're supposed to have takes. You're supposed to care. You're supposed to like, how can you, this is like me reverting back to my record store persona. How can you know what you really like unless you know what you really don't like?
2: What really don't like. Yeah. 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 But, but here's, here's what, I, what I love about Max and his takes. He's, he's definitely thoughtful. He's definitely listen. It's not like, you know, it wasn't the haters convention. But also being funny. I'm like, if you're going to be mean, be funny. Yeah. That's, that's all I asked, and, and he definitely delivered on that. I, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the Benny record again. and with We the talked about this like... a little bit off
3: mic. I'm like, did he just ruin that Benny record for me?
2: But, <laughs> but we, we've had this before.
3: Um, someone said something about the Ka record off mic to me that I thought was going to ruin it, and then I went back and listened to it. I'm like, no, I still love it. This formula still works for me. So Do, do you read
1: –
2: speaking of Ka, I read his tweets like he raps. Like it's so it's so fun, uh, especially he got in a little brouhaha about people getting damaged vinyl, oh, and yeah. I just kept reading, I kept reading his tweets and his like car voice, um, which was super super interesting like, to
3: me. You got the damaged corner in California. <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: I can't afford you. Ship it back for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I the guys who take on the whole rap industry for themselves like they have to deal with this shit like that's that that's why generally speaking there have been labels and there have been distributors like you don't want to deal with that it's very clear to me you don't want to deal with that you're Mm -hmm. literally tweeting like you're on your own sorry (laughs) that's Uh, all
2: it's it's you know
3: I, i take my records quite seriously i hate a corner ding so I can kind of see both sides of it. It's, it doesn't make it useless to me or pointless to have, but it's certainly upsetting. And it's, it's not the rapper's fault the corner is dinged. I don't think anyone's saying that. But if you sell a product, you somewhat take the responsibility for it arriving safely. So it's just it, it shows me that there's still a need for like ethical labels or distributors who can take these things mm-hmm. on for these people who like I really would rather they're spending their time creating. And I think they'd rather they be spending their time creating, but both jobs are important.
2: Yeah. And necessary for us to enjoy uh, the music that we love. And I know folks at at a particular price point are going to get a little, a little huffy about things. So. um,
3: And also uh, two, two cardboard inserts minimum. I don't care who you are. You could be sending me a a dollar record. I bought off you on Discogs. You could be sending me a hundred dollar car record. Two cardboards, tape the right. box tight. It's gonna get there safe. Bubble wrap does literally nothing. And okay. this is this is inside baseball record collecting shit, but it's yeah. true.
2: <laughs> Join us next week for Dad Bod Vinyl Pod, where <laughs> Nate one hundred eighty gram Nate comes through <laughs> stunting on you guys uh yeah yeah this was this was a dope episode episode 140 uh again shout out to max b shout out to illogic Uh, i hope
3: that people are taking the time because it's already out to listen to autopilot illogic's new record um you, you got to hear quite a bit about the the making of and the the kind of pressure that he put on himself and so i think the whole point of podcasts like this and i have to say there's so many podcasts now like a couple of our friends just started a couple new podcasts and guys, I wish you all the best. Um, if you're listening and I'm proud of you and with many of you, I try to help you out behind the scenes or you asked for my advice and I gave it to you and I'm gl- I'm super glad, but like, there's such a wealth of information now about, yeah. about independent hip hop. I know there's like a million podcasts about other things, but you, there's never been a better time to learn directly from the sources about what happened during during yeah. the making of something, so I hope that people take the perspective gained from listening to the what we call like primary sources, the the MCs and producers themselves, and apply it a little bit into their their listening habits. It's like I hope you listen with a new lens. Apparently, yeah, you know?
2: that's what I'm saying. Absolutely, to say. absolutely, and and we're happy to be one of those outlets that are kind of bringing these stories to light and getting the getting the backstory to a lot of uh, great new releases. As usual, you can find us wherever you find your podcast content. That's Apple Music. That's Spotify. Still on SoundCloud for now. SoundCloud Rapper. Teetering. Go check us it out. It's teetering. Does that
3: make you a range. SoundCloud rapper? <laughs> you get email, you some face tats. Uh,
2: yeah. Email your face tats to Nate if you want us to stay on SoundCloud. Um, and you can interact with us on Twitter at Dad Bod rap Pod on IG at Dad Bod rap Pod every Friday 5:30 PST, uh, two of us come through and, and do a, an IG live session for about uh, 30 minutes, just chopping it up about the weekend it's, rap. It's a little
3: overboard, but like they they said at some point, the new Marvel shows are gonna re- relate to the Marvel movies, and so you'll have to watch them all oh to, to get the whole narrative i don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off so far they've been pretty successful with stuff like that it's kind of becoming like that with the ig live like when we were talking to max we referred to the ig live like 20 times which i'm yeah. sure is very entertaining for the everyone except for the 15 people who were there, were there. Uh, <laughs> so be
2: there They'll
3: so be, be there. on the join, join us. us yeah absolutely
2: uh,
0: yeah you get laughs
2: too you get bad sure. after dark content um uh, because, theoretically, it, it, it self-destructs. So uh, join us Join us in that space. It's really cool. You can hop on the chat, ask us questions. Um, so it's, it's a really cool interactive space uh, that we inhabit every Friday. Obviously, new episode every Thursday. I want to give another kind of plug uh, for Open Mic Eagle's new record. Um, just an, an amazing record from a, from a cool-ass dude. Um, and if you want rap like that to continue to live, buy something. Uh, Nate, last words for this week, episode 140. Episode 140, um, what are we? We're I think we're
3: 17 days from the election. It's very important that people have a plan, that they vote. We would strongly prefer you vote for Democrats and progressives. Um, it's, it's looking like Something might happen here. I don't want to jinx it, um, but it's looking like we can change this country for the better. I want everyone listening to be a part of that. Even you inter international listeners. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's we, we have to do this. We have to pull this off. We will not survive another four years of this. So wear a mask, stay away from people, tip your waiter, fuck Trump. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wisdom jewels from nate leblanc uh thank you brethren shout out to thank to the you homies. man uh, Yep, you'll be back with us soon big uh, shouts dave yeah man uh that's that's the warhorse of our of our whole operation so uh everybody out there thanks for rocking with us um and we will be back next week dad bod rap pod